Hey, how are you? There we go. Good. Good, good. All right, stop, stop. Um, <laughs> uh, hey, I'm, uh, I'm excited. We are in Ephesians chapter 3. If you're just kind of hopping in with us right now, we are going through the book of Ephesians this semester. Uh, we think the Word of God is powerful and relevant and important and what we need, so uh, we're going we're gonna to dig into His Word and, uh, and let Him guide where we, where we go rather than um, kind of our own, our own topical stuff. So Ephesians 3 is where we're at. I'm excited about it. In Ephesians 3, what we're going to see is we're going to see uh, kind of this mystery that gets re- revealed. Um, and my favorite, uh, my favorite illustration, when I think about just mystery, um, one of my favorite stories of all time, you guys who have been walking with me for a while have probably heard me say this. I used to, I used to tell the story every year at a freshman retreat uh, for TCU. Every year, I always told the same story. So if you went to that freshman retreat, you heard the story nine times. There's somebody who just kept repeating the freshman year and going to that retreat. Um, so uh, so, so here, here's what happened. This was a, a friend of a friend. So take this story for what it's worth. Uh, a, a good buddy of mine went to college with this girl who told him the story. And she said she had an internship in New York. And so she's doing an internship in New York City. And while she's doing this internship, it doesn't pay a lot of money. And so, uh, and so she took a, like another part-time job. And there's apparently this market uh, in New York for people who are willing to walk other people's dogs. And so it's this whole kind of thing and that they're all vetted and all that kind of thing. And so she became uh, an intern in New York for a summer in, in the middle of college and then a dog walker. So she one day is walking these two dogs for a family that was kind of a regular family that was kind of on her, on her routine. And so she's walking these two dogs, and as they're described to me, one of them is like one of the tiny, annoying dogs. You know what I'm talking about? The yippy ones that just are really annoying, and you just don't know why God did that. It's like mosquitoes and those dogs. And you're like, why, God? Possibly a part of the fall. If anybody has those dogs, I apologize for offending you, uh, but repent. And put, it, and put it down. Just put it down. Um, okay, so then the other dog, then the other dog was a golden retriever. Yay, golden retrievers, America, go, yeah. Okay, good. All right, so uh, the golden retriever, however, is, if you love golden retrievers, this story is going to take a sharp left turn. It's going to make you sad here in a little bit. Uh, the, yeah, the golden retriever was old, like real old, right? Yeah. So she's walking these dogs, the yippie one and the golden retriever, and she gets a couple of blocks away from the house, and the golden retriever sits down, and then the golden retriever just lays down, and the golden retriever just stops breathing, and its heart stops beating, and it drifts off into doggy heaven, right? So now here you have a young woman uh, walking dogs, except she now has a leash attached to a yippie dog that's high, really high energetic, and another leash attached to a dead dog lying on the streets of New York. So she picks up the dog, right? She picks up the dog, wraps the, leash, the other leash around her wrist, and carries this dog two blocks back to the house of the owner. And she's expecting, oh, no, this family's going to be upset. They're going to be devastated. You know, she, she rings the doorbell. They answer it. And they're like, oh, it finally died. <laughs> That's their response. And, they're, and they're, they're real apologetic to her, which is best case scenario for her, right? They're not mad at her, and they walk her, and they, he, you know, the, the dad and the family takes the dog, and, oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry, and thank you. Wow, yeah, we knew, we knew the dog was going to go sometime soon anyway, man, thank you. And then they say, hey, here's the thing. Um, here's the thing. Is there any way, we're here with the kids and all this stuff, is there any way that you could go and take this dog to the, uh, to the pound for the disposal, wherever they do dog disposal, right? 
Is there any way that you could take this? And they like Googled and they found the place where you drop off animals in a humane way to help have them journey on to the next life. Uh, and so, and they were like, and they were going to pay her for it, of course. And they're super sweet about it. And they're giving her a huge tip and they get a duffel bag, right? <clears throat> no joke. They get a duffel bag and they put the dead golden retriever in the duffel bag and zip it up. And so this woman then takes the duffel bag with the dead dog and carries it through New York into the subway, right? Because that's the fastest way, right? You're not going to walk all the way there. So she takes the subway. So she gets on the subway and she has the dog zipped up in a bag because it'd be weird if you're carrying around a dead dog over your shoulder, but in a bag, way less weird. Yeah. So she's on the subway train. And this is where things kind of get weird, if they haven't gotten weird yet. <laughs> She's sitting on a subway train, and there's a guy kind of catty corner to her, sitting on the other side, who kind of does the whole, like, looks up, and they make eye contact and look away. Kind of looks away. And, you know, they kind of get the flirty eyes going back and forth, and the flirty eyes, and a couple of stops. And, and then the guy ends up moving next to her, you know? And he's still got the flirty eyes going, and they're like, hey, what, oh, hey, what, yeah. And so then they kind of start casually talking. Now, she is gripping this bag really tightly, just because she's so nervous about how awkward this is, because she's very aware of what's in the bag. And here's this, like, cute boy that's talking to her, and, and so they just start talking. And so he's, you know, he's talking to her, making small talk, and then he asks, hey, what's in the bag? <clears throat> this is what she said. What she said, she just, you know, I guess in a moment of panic, what came out of her mouth, he says, what's in the bag? What comes out of her mouth? Technology. <laughs> That's what she said. Hey, what's in the bag? Technology? Like, what does that even mean? Like, what is, like, what is like, maybe it's a laptop or like some keyboards and a monitor and because it's a lumpy bag and she's gripping it really tightly and, he's, and he doesn't really, you know, he's, I'm sure he was weirded out by it, but they just keep going and then, and then sure enough, it gets to her stop, the stop happens and he says, oh, this is my stop too. She stands up, he stands up and then the next thing she knows, she's being helped off of the floor of the subway by some strangers and she's, and she's like, what, what just happened? And they say, are you okay? She's like, yeah, yeah, what just happened? And they say, that guy, just, as soon as the doors of the subway car, punched you, grabbed your bag, and ran. <laughs> that guy you were talking to, as soon as the doors came open, punched you, you fell over, he grabbed your bag, and ran away. So somebody... In New York City, whenever this happened, right, somebody, some real cunning, douchey thief, right, ends up slithering his way real close to this girl, and then as she stands up, punches this young woman, grabs her bag, and, and somewhere takes, like I picture him living in like a secret lair or like a cave underground in the sewer system, right? He's, I can picture him there with like candles lit, and he's kind of hunched over this bag of technology, right? <laughs> And he's wondering, what is the mystery? What is in this bag, right? What, you know, I was willing to punch a girl. I mean, that's assault and battery. I fought hard for this. The mystery of what's in this bag unzips it to find a dead golden retriever. <laughs> how awesome is that? And, and, how would, and what would you be thinking if you were that thief? You'd be thinking, who was that girl? <laughs> like, who was I sitting next to that carries around dead dogs? What's happening in my life? The chaos. Okay. Okay. Pull it together. 
Here's where we're going. The mystery, right? Watch this transition. The mystery, right? That anticipation, this whole idea of anticipation, what's there, what's there, what's there, what's there, what's there? All of Ephesians has been leading up, it's been the gospel brought from death to life, and, and now it should change our posture. And then here, what we're about to hit is we're about to hit Paul, who's unzipping the mystery of what the gospel is, right? And it is the reveal, right? And it is the reveal that you're going to stand before and either be really horrified and weirded out and creeped out, or you're going to stand before if we see what Ephesians 3 is talking about, and we understand the weight of the mystery that's being revealed throughout history. Paul is going to talk about, man, throughout history, generation after generation after generation after generation has not understood the mystery until now. 2,000 years ago, as it is being unzipped, Paul reveals it to the Ephesian church and says, this is it. And how awesome is it? Look with me, chapter 3, verse 1. This is what our author, the Apostle Paul, writes. It's going to be up on the screen, too, if that's easier for you. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Okay, let's stop and unpack, because that's a, a lot. And the way Paul writes this, he's kind of got this whole parenthetical thing about, hey, you guys know me and know my story. Uh, here's what we need to know. One, we need to know that Paul, when he's writing this, is a prisoner, right? He's a prisoner, and, and he says it right off the bat, right? I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. That's not metaphorical language. He's literally a prisoner because he is preaching Jesus as Christ. He's preaching Jesus as Savior. He's writing the Ephesians and saying, yes, I'm a prisoner, but God is giving me the grace to, to make ends meet, to continue to, to be the apostle I'm called to be. And then he's setting them up, right? He's now reminding them and setting them up for this big reveal that Paul has received from God. And remember, this, this book of Ephesians so far, we see in chapter one, if, if you were here, we, we kind of see this idea of God adopting us, right? And adopting us and giving us this inheritance. And then in chapter two, we see this idea that we've been taken from death to life. And then the end of chapter two, what Josh preached last week, we see this application of, man, this should start changing our posture if we've been taken from death to life. And now, right, and now specifically here in chapter three is the, the reveal. It's an aspect of the gospel that has been a mystery and that now Paul is emphasizing kind of for the first time in this book, although he's alluded to it in the first couple of chapters. Um, something that hasn't been revealed to other generations. It's verse six. This is what he says. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's a big deal. That is a big deal. I think oftentimes we could read over chapters and verses, and yet when we read over chapter 3 of Ephesians, verse 6, and, the, and Paul is articulating so clearly, this is the mystery. Gentiles are now fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. We've got to understand the context and the weight of what this means and, and then what this means for us. So Gentiles, we talk about them a lot. Most of you guys know what they are. Humor me for a second. 
the Jewish community, right, the Jewish ethnic race was a people that was chosen by God. And so throughout history, you weren't just ethnically Jew, right? It was your faith uh, background. Right? It, was, it was who you were, you were selected, you were this inherited, chosen people by God. And we see that throughout history, generation after generation after generation. And the Gentiles were everyone outside of that camp. Right? All the people who worshipped their own pagan gods, and they did this, and they did that, and all, all of the people outside of that camp, the Jewish people referred to as Gentiles. And there was a strict way Gentiles were supposed to interact with each other, they were supposed to interact with God, the holiness of God, and they were then given the access to approach the holiness of God, which we're going to talk about later in this chapter, what that exactly looked like. Um, but now here, what Paul is saying and what we've seen in the gospel, which at, at this point would have been revolutionary to the Ephesian church. I mean, this is the entire history has now changed to say, hey, those outsiders, all of those outsiders that weren't in the inner circle, that weren't born into the club, all of those outsiders are now fellow heirs. The inheritance that you got, the, the Jewish people have, the holiness of God given to them and the rewards of that and all of that, now all those outsiders who are in Christ are fellow heirs. They are a part of the same body. They are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Um, I would, I imagine we've got some A&M graduates in here. Is that correct? Okay, you guys are weird. Uh, okay, so you guys have all kinds of cult rituals at your school, right? You got, uh, yes, yeah, yeah, no, you got it, right? You got all kinds of things. You got like a student, se- there's a student section, I'm assuming, right? Yes, there's a student section. It's a big deal, the 12th man. It's a really big deal. Uh, so so in, in that, it would be like saying, <clears throat> it would be like saying, hey, uh, hey, all of the Longhorn fans who are going to come to the game, okay, Okay, guys, guys, no, not with the hissing. Um, all of the Longhorn fans that are going to come to the game, right, that A&M's playing UT, hopefully one day that game will happen again, uh, or maybe Tech, or some rival, right, some big rival, right, that A&M doesn't enjoy being around, say, hey, you bring your Texas Tech ID, your student ID, uh, into College Station, into Kyle Field, and you guys get front row in the, uh, in the student section right, or the burnt orange. Anybody wearing burnt orange, just show your Longhorn ID, and now you have access in the same way, right? It's why the, it's why the parable of the, the prodigal son was told. The parable of the prodigal son, the point of that story is not just about a prodigal son who returns and his father welcomes him back because he wanders away and, and, and disobeys his father and comes back in the father. It's really more about, look how the father embraces this son who doesn't deserve a father's love Look how this son gets embraced where the older brother is jealous. Right? That's really what this dynamic is happening. And so what we have is insiders who are going to really struggle with that. Insiders who are really going to struggle with letting go of control, which never happens to us in the church, right? I mean, we're always super accepting of people that don't look like us, and maybe they've got, just as long as their sins look like our sins, that's fine. It's such, it's such an epidemic where we see it here too. Right? I see it in my own life. Right, I see my own life and who I would bring into my circle and who I won't. This is, this is changing everything. The gospel to Gentiles is a huge, huge deal. They were unclean, but now they're fellow heirs. They're members of the same body, right? Not just they're sharing the inheritance. They're a part, if you're the left arm, they're the right arm. They're part of the same body. They're partakers in the promise. 
Look at our responsibility. If that's the message, if that's the mystery revealed in the message, look at what Paul's responsibility is, and then I want to talk about what our responsibility is. Verse 7, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Man, there's so much there. There is so much there. Man, I hope you guys are digging into Ephesians outside of Wednesday night. Man, I hope that you guys are spending time because there's so much there. Here's, here's just a few nuggets I want to pull out. Our role now. Uh, right, I love what, how Paul unpacks, hey, man, there's this mystery. Here is the mystery. It's this idea that the outsiders have now been welcomed in because of the gospel. Right? You were made dead to alive, and that is not just for Jewish people. That is for the outsiders being invited in. And then he's saying, and look. My responsibility now, too, is to go and to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to the point where he's in jail because of it. I am now called to go and share and give away my life, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches, even the view of not only personally inviting and preaching and living out the truth that outsiders should be invited in, but also even corporately as a church, right? This idea that hidden throughout the ages, created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be on display, right? The, the, church, the body of Christ, even personally, we should be doing that. But then also, man, let's just pick on Wednesday night. Our role on Wednesday night in, in this room. Man, if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, then you read this and you say, I need to get plugged into a body of believers. If you're not, if you're just kind of a spectator and you're jumping around, then, man, I love you. And I hope you're getting fed in some ways, but I think you're missing out on God's design. I believe you are missing out on God's design. Get rooted and planted somewhere in a body of believers and then be a part of the church, being a witness to the community, to those around, to other people uh, who are outsiders being brought in. Our role, our role for this gospel to those outside is to respond to it and to share it. Um, I, uh, I want to show you a picture, too, and this, I think, helps illustrate it and give some context. Uh, there's a picture of a temple here. Okay, so um, I didn't pick the greatest picture, but I think you guys can see it for the most part. So as your eyes adjust to this, what we have here is the temple, right? This was the second temple uh, that was built, but this was, I, I mean, an incredible masterpiece of God's design and blueprint uh, that, that he had his people build. And what we have here is an outer court. If you see that outer court on the lower part of the, of the temple, right? You've got the outer court. Uh, and then you've got the inner court, right? And then you've got the holy place inside there that we can't see. And then within the holy place, you've got even an additional sacred place, the holy of holies. And there was all, the only person that could go into the holy of holies was the high priest, right? And the priests could go into the holy place, specific priests. Um, but, but the whole temple uh, was, was designed for the Jewish, the people who God had selected, who had called, he had called these people and said, this is how I want to interact with you. Um, and they would bring their sacrifices and there was a sacrificial system that happened and, and then the high priest would make a sacrifice for the people of Israel, right? And so what you have though is you've got these layers. You've kind of got these layers of intimacy. 
the holy of holies, the holy place. You know, you've got the inner court, the outer court, and then you've got outside the walls, and that's where the Gentiles would have been, right? That's where, if they're lucky, man, the Gentiles would have been outside of, of that place. Um, yet God changes that. God's changing that, and he's bringing them in. He's bringing them in. He's bringing them closer. Um, God's gift of grace to you. God's gift of grace to you is a gift that for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. So all the sacrificial system was to, to pay for the sins, to be a, a, a test of faith to say, Lord, I need your grace to cover my sins. So that's what the sacrificial system. And, and now here he is saying to his people and to, to us now, by the sacrifice of Christ, by the gospel, by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect lamb, your sins are now paid for. Your sins are now paid for. The weight of all of that that has separated you from being able to be with God is now been paid for. That is the message that we then take to outsiders, the unsearchable riches. I love that. I'm reminded whenever I think of the unsearchable riches of God, I'm reminded, um, I think it's probably my favorite parable if I'm allowed to have a favorite parable. It's Matthew 13, and uh, it's the parable of um, the treasure in the field. And, and it talks about how the treasure, the kingdom of God, is like a treasure buried in a field. And it would be like a man who came across that treasure, discovers the treasures there, realizes, oh my goodness, there's a massive treasure. And then it says, in Matthew 13, it says, and then he goes and with joy sells everything he has to buy that field. So it says he discovers the treasure, sees it, realizes the value of that treasure, and then with joy sells everything he has to buy that field, implying, obviously, oh my goodness, it is a joy. All of my stuff you can have, you can sell. I don't need it anymore. I'm going to sell everything I have because the value of what is in that field, the kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is worth that. It's this beautiful, beautiful picture of the gospel, and that should be us. Right? That should be our lives. Our, our lives should be lives that say, is the gospel greater than all these other things I pursue? Is being in the presence of God, is connecting with God, is surrendering, is that worth it? Do I with joy surrender everything? And so the question is, when you, when you read that, you think, okay, so like, do I need to surrender everything? Like, I need to surrender all of my money to follow Jesus? Yes. You do. Uh, do I need to surrender all of my relationships? Yes, you do. Do I need to surrender, do I need to surrender all of, all of uh, my career success? Yes, you do. God is calling us to something greater. And so how that plays out in our life, so for, for my life, Right? My wife and I, we say, we try, we battle. We're not perfect, but we battle our hearts to say, Lord, the money we have is yours. The money we have is yours. Would we be good stewards with it? But it's his, right? That's the whole idea of, of tithing and offering and like giving 10%. It's not because God needs 10%. It's because at the beginning of the month, I'm like, all right, all of this is his. I'm gonna chop off 10% to just make sure or whatever that number is or whatever that act of Faith is to say, God, everything I have is yours, but I'm going to put this towards your kingdom explicitly to remind myself the truth that all of it is yours. In relationships, Lord, these relationships are yours. God, would you allow me to function in them in a way that you desire me to function in them? Lord, my career, 
whatever that career is for you, right, your career path or, or whatever that looks like, that success that you're chasing, Lord, this, I surrender it to you. With joy, I surrender that because what I get in following you and being surrendered and, and buying the field of the kingdom of God, getting to approach you, it's worth it. It's so worth it. So with joy, I surrender that. Does that mean everyone quits their job and they gives away all their money and they become hobos? No, that's not what that means, right? Maybe one or two people do that, but no, that's not what that means. That means you live a life surrendered out of joy, not because legalism, but because of joy. Not because we're supposed to because of the rules, but because we found something better. I found a different way to have relationships, relationships that are surrendered to Christ rather than relationships I'm trying to control. Money that's surrendered to Christ rather than money I'm trying to hoard. A career that's surrendered to Christ rather than a career that I'm trying to manipulate and navigate and build in my own flesh. <clears throat> Look at the effects of this message. This, in verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom, this is beautiful, verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. In him, in Christ, if you are in Christ in this room tonight, man, if you somewhere along the way in your life have said, man, I am gonna follow Christ, I put my faith in Christ, then what the truth of Ephesians 3 says is that you have boldness and access with confidence through our faith, through our faith in Jesus Christ. Boldness and confidence and access, that presence, that intimacy, right? In the temple, this idea of, of intimacy. Our sin separates us, and yet we now have intimacy. I'm always reminded when we think about access into the Holy of Holies, access into who God is, access into God's presence. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. I think I got it on the, on the slides up here. Since then, we have a great high priest, the author of Hebrews says. Since then, we have a great high priest. It's referencing Jesus, who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of God, the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus, our high priest, has paved the way for believers. Christianity is not about rules. Christianity is not about church attendance. Christianity is about a relationship with Jesus Christ, a surrendering. That's hard. It's a hard thing, but a surrender of our lives to put our faith in Jesus Christ so that we have access to God. Uh, the weight of our sin and the weight of our sin, it, here's the thing about the gospel. It doesn't make sense. Right? Like, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that me, I know myself. Right? I know who I am. I know what I struggle with. I know what I have struggled with. I know the sin that I have chosen to step into. Right? There's sin I don't even know I've partaken in that I have, I have done. I've, I've done all these things that aren't worthy of a relationship with God. Right? And I don't look at that and think, God, you're mean. I look at that and think, God is holy and worth it. And yet I betray him. And I turn my back on him. And I know myself. 
And so when I look at the gospel, I look at this idea that, wait, I have access, boldness, and confidence to approach. That doesn't make sense. I know myself. Man, if you are in this room, and you, I know you're in this room, because I'm in this room, and, and we, there is sin in our life that is paralyzing. And you guys, brothers and sisters in this room, I love you. There's sin in your life that, man, maybe some people know about, maybe nobody knows about, right? Maybe right now you've got sin and you have, like me, you've become good at hiding it, right? Throughout my life, growing up a Christian kid, I became really good at just knowing how to hide and manage my sin or confess the, uh, the, the okay ones but not reveal everything into the grace and the light of God through confession. So, man, there's sin in your life. My prayer is that tonight the Holy Spirit reveals that to you. The Spirit of God says, look at this. You're not hiding this from me. And the weight of that, the weight of that, if you are done with that, if you are tired of that, if that has become weary and burdensome to carry around this sin, to carry around this thing that you know is not his best. You know it's not what he wants for you. You know it's not life-giving, but you keep going back to that. Maybe it's to, maybe it's to medicate yourself in some way, right? Maybe it's to run away from something. Maybe it's based out of fear. Maybe it's based out of lust. The truth of God is standing before you saying, stop carrying that. Saying, surrender that. Confess that. Turn from that. And in Christ Jesus, there is forgiveness for that. All of that, all of that baggage. Maybe this is your past, right? Maybe it's your past weekend or maybe it's your past decade. But the, the power, you are not more powerful than the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has more power to clean up your mess than you do to make it. To think that you are too far gone, to think that some of your sin is, is too offensive or, or too dirty to be able to bring before God or bring before the people of God is a lie that is going to keep you stuck in that place, not experiencing the presence of God. Because, because it talks about here in Scripture, even in Hebrews 1, at the very beginning of the chapter, it talks about this idea that the purification of our sin is not just so that we can get cleaned up, which God wants that. He wants to make what was red as scarlet, white as snow. He wants to make what was broken and old new and restore it. That is what he is in the business of doing. And so if you're sitting here before, before the word of God and truth, and you have things in your heart that you know he doesn't want you to carry around, then my prayer and, and my belief is that the Holy Spirit's tonight saying, let go of that, and I will cleanse you. I will make you clean. I will make you new. You are not too far gone. And the beautiful thing is it's not just so that you can get cleaned up. It's so that you can enter into the presence of God. The end goal is not purification. The end goal is the presence of God. Purification is a means to that end. So don't just confess and spend time praying and then say, man, I feel much better. Good. Confess. Bring that before the Lord. If, if you feel like the Lord says, man, you need to bring somebody else into this confession, somebody who knows Jesus and is going to speak truth and grace into your confession, not have their arms folded, but, but receive your humble confession. If, if, if you believe that God wants to use the body of Christ, which he absolutely does, then do it. Grab somebody. Grab me, right? There are people around here later during the prayer time that would, 
wearing lanyards that would love to just pray with you. And they might not even know you, but just say, man, there's the grace of God over your life. And then get to walk into the presence of Jesus Christ and live our lives there in the presence of God. God, there's a hundred applications of what that looks like. There's a, there's a million different ways I could try to describe the presence of God. But I, my favorite way is how John 15 talks about it. This idea of you are now abiding in the vine. You've walked away from your sin and you're abiding in the vine and then there's fruit that comes from that. And you're plugged into the source. And that's what it feels like and that's what it looks like. You're plugged into the source, your designer, your creator, the one that knows better than you know, the one who out of joy I'll sell everything and I'll follow him. You're plugged into that creator and then fruit starts to happen in your life. And that fruit is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is incredible things. Like love starts to happen in your life. And joy starts to happen in your life. And peace, where there was anxiety, then there's peace starts to happen in your life. Tonight, man, my hope is that you hear this message that you are no longer an outsider, but you have been called inside. And even if you've heard that a million times, but tonight you found yourself wandering a little bit outside the gates, he is calling you back. You are no longer an outsider. And also, you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to go and share that with others. Go and share that truth with others if it's real in your life. Share that with others. Invite others into the community of God. Invite others into places where they are going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the truth is that all of that sin, all of that stuff that weighs you down is not too big for God. The enemy would love to keep you out of God's presence by just believing, man, I've gone too far. Sisters, you have not gone too far for God's love. Brothers, you have not gone too far for God's love. Repent, change, surrender that. Have confidence and approach your father. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for how you love us. Thank you that, um, thank you for the gospel, Lord. Thank you for this mystery revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. Um, God, I pray that this would really saturate our hearts. Lord, I pray also tonight for my brothers and sisters in this room who, um, who know what that is, um, that thing that they're hiding, that thing that they're struggling with, and that sin that's separating them. God, that's not your design, that's not your desire and you have the power to set them free. And so, Lord, I pray that, God, they would, they would experience that freedom, Lord. That tonight would be a turning point in, in those ways. And then tomorrow, when, when sin comes knocking at our door again, they would be quick to run to your throne, the holiness that is there. God, I, I have no power to make that happen in anyone's life. The songs we're about to sing have no power to make that happen in anyone's life. Lord, your spirit, the preaching of your word, the truth that we hear, Spirit, you move in our life. You move us to confession and repentance and then bold confidence that we don't walk out of here with our heads hung low, feeling the weight of our sin and feeling the weight of our mistakes, but instead we walk in you, in confidence and boldness with access to you, Ephesians 3 says. We have access to you. God, we don't belong there. But we're so thankful. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.